Hello everyone. Hello Nikki. Welcome to the show. I'm very, very happy to have you here. How are you today? I'm very well. Thank you very much for inviting me. Hey, I'm, I'm very excited. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, could you please introduce yourself? My name's Nikki Clifton and I'm a visual effects producer. What's, what's a VFX producer? So a video effects producer, um, there's slightly different roles with some video effects producers. So some of them will be very involved in actually seeking out projects and seeking out work and are more in a sort of sales role. Mm -hmm. And then there's other producers that are more along the lines of line producers um, in that they will um, get from my own experience, mm -hmm. um, I had clients and they would come to me with budgets and scripts. And then I would talk to the artists and we would work out what was actually needed mm -hmm. to do the job and um, do the job within the budget. So we would work out the feasibility of it or how we could approach it, possible different ways of approaching it to make it manageable for that amount of money. Or you would go away and you would think about the possible discounts that you could give to make the to land the job within that money and for the company not to lose money. So once you've actually won the job, um, you then manage the job and look after the client and manage their expectations and make sure that they have what they want when they want mm -hmm. um, within feasibility. Um, they create schedules uh, for the clients, so the client understands what's needed, what pr approval processes are required and when. Um, and you are also a sort of quality control person. So if somebody gives you work and you don't really think it's what the client is expecting creatively, you can uh, push back and say, no, can you have another go at that, please? <laughs> <laughs> um, and also you make sure that everything that's kind of going out is what's expected and that it's going at a pace mm -hmm. for you know the job not to kind of stack up at the end and everybody to run out of time to achieve what's needed uh, i hope you don't mind me asking this question how what do you need from the client to make your work easy is do you do, for instance um, i'm sure it's similar for between movie and commercial but for instance in in movies, it's, it will be easier if we have like a, a script breakdown, for instance, to make mm. the work easier. Well, I think a clear creative brief yeah. is something. A clear creative brief, um, an understanding of timings of what's expected and when. Mm -hmm. uh, so you can actually say, if it's not possible, you know, it's sort of the, there's no point in somebody coming to you uh, with, you know, the idea of a hugely long animated movie and expecting it to be done in three weeks <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so there's elements like that and um there's also things um there's also kind of clear communication and um prompt approvals mm -hmm. prompt responses mm -hmm. um yeah i think like everywhere is not get i mean don't get afraid of mistakes as well because this is how we we all learn anyways and I'm yeah i think it's the same for at that level as well oh totally yeah, yeah. you know put your hand up yeah <laughs> if you think it's going slightly uh 
amiss, you know, let everybody know. And actually, that's very much the producer's role. You know, I mean, currently we're all working in lockdown. Sometimes we have to say, hey, sorry, there's a power cut in yeah, exactly, southeast yeah. London. You know, <laughs> 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 my artists can't get you that far. <laughs> I don't have enough battery in my phone <laughs> <laughs> to finish the conversation. <laughs> How did you end up working as a VFX producer? Um, it's a bit of a long story, um, but I um, initially started out in advertising as an account manager um, and then moved, jumped around in lots of different roles uh, um, I worked in a sound studio at one point, um, ended up in a post house as a scheduler um, and then moved back to agencies as an agency producer. <laughs> um, and then I worked for a production design company as a producer. And then I took a very long time out to raise some children, my children. <laughs> <laughs> and and um, then I went back into post houses and... I just went into scheduling because I'd been out for so long. I'd lost a lot of confidence. And um, and then I became CG resources manager um, at the mill. And then I decided that I wanted to move back into production, really. So, uh, yeah, that's what I'm doing now. Amazing. I'm Was production your first choice? Um, no. <laughs> From the <laughs> from the age of five, I wanted to be a hairdresser, but lockdown <laughs> has taught me that I wouldn't have made money at it. <laughs> my, Who my was your victim? <laughs> <laughs> my victim was my family. <laughs> they have forgiven me, but ah, that's great. Uh, but they definitely haven't forgotten. <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I, I think it's something they're going to be telling their grandchildren about. That's a good story then. <laughs> so I'm really glad I didn't become a hairdresser. Um, then much later on, I wanted to be a florist, which my father was mortified, absolutely <laughs> mortified. Um, and I decided I didn't want to do that because I realized you had to go to market at four or five in the morning. And I really I knew I couldn't get out of bed that early. <laughs> Uh, but then once I sort of fell into advertising, actually, it was always production mm -hmm. from that moment. Okay. Which movies uh, have you made you want to pursue uh, a career in the industry? For me, um, it's not so much a movie, it's a place. Mm -hmm. And um, it, I was really fortunate that... Um, as a child, the street I grew up in, there was a cinema at the end of the road. Mm. So it was 30 or 40 yards from my house. So every week I was in the cinema. Um, it was just, it was almost like, go to school five days a week, go to the cinema. <laughs> <laughs> that was my life every week until, I was, until I was about 18. So um, there was just so, so many films, you know, it was just such a huge part of my life that... It was probably inevitable. Yeah, it was like almost uh, like bread and uh, yeah, bread and butter, or yeah, it's uh, yeah. Even even as a really small child, I remember playing at the end of the road and sort of playing on the steps of the cinema, and there was always this sort of mystery around it. it it's actually a very old 1930s cinema, and there's a sort of a huge history movement around this cinema. But uh, you know, the, 
everybody had a story in the village about the cinema, whether it was the boys who used to climb in through the toilet windows to watch the <laughs> film for free, or the usher with all the warts that we all thought was a witch. <laughs> it was just a huge part of growing up. Yeah, and that was, I mean, if you compare with now, they were way cheaper then. I mean, I remember when I was a kid uh, back then in, in France, I mean, it was 10 francs back, back on the days, you were able to have a sandwich and watch a movie. Looks like it's impossible enough days. <laughs> well, not just that, but they're actually quite s sort of soulless, a lot of them. You go yeah, in true. and, you know, they're the same wherever you go. Whereas this cinema had the, we, it, we all laughed, we called it the flea pit after a while, because it still had the really old 1940s seating. Oh, and wow, okay, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it, it's one of those cinemas that time forgot. Mm. And for a long while, that was a bad thing. But now it's kind of gone full circle. Yeah, that's it, true, actually. And it's, it's a huge part of the heritage of the people, you know, in that town. So, uh, yeah, but the cost of... Uh, we used to go down there every week, even when I'd been living in London for 10 years. We'd go and visit the parents and go for the cheap cinema. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, that's amazing. It's a, it's a shame that in our days... It, it cost an arm, an arm and a leg to go and watch a movie sometimes, especially yeah. with the 3D glasses. Yeah, and I think that's a shame because I think um, families miss out on that. I think a lot of children do. Going to the cinema isn't, for many of families, it's not affordable, it's not a weekly thing um, in the way I, I grew up. Uh, it's a real special treat taking two children to the cinema and, or taking their friends with them. Yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> forget about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we have to choose. Okay, next month we're going to go <laughs> watch this movie. What about six months? <laughs> in a six month time, we might go and see another movie. Uh, yeah. Rather, back in the days, it was, uh, I, I actually built some of my uh, cinema culture around, uh, I mean, uh, because of the fact that the cinema were, were cheap. Back then, I mean, I just had to take a, the train and uh, go do like 25 kilometers and I'm, I'm, I'm there watching cinema. I mean, watching movie from morning to afternoon. So I, I, I know that it's almost impossible, impossible in our days. I strew that other way of, uh, let's say, watching movie had, has appeared since then, but the exper cinema experience, it's, it's unique. Yeah, I mean, for us, it was just, I'm, I'm, I'm sure we, it wouldn't be allowed now, but we literally used to, they used to let us in as children, you know, we'll, and we'd all kind of, well, half of them came in through the toilet window, as I said <laughs> before. <laughs> You'd often sort of find someone crawling under the seats around <laughs> you. That's unbelievable. Okay, so, uh, what movies or creative mediums uh, in general inspire you? I love animation. I've always loved animation. Um, I love how uh, I love the colors, the saturation of colors. Um, my favorite movie as a child was Fantasia because um, it was this really old movie, and you would. I never saw, I don't think I've ever seen it all the way through. I've always seen sort of snippets. So mm -hmm. that I think when my son was young, we, we got a copy of it and you know a few times I got yeah. to see it from beginning to end but I absolutely was spellbound by the dance of the sugar plum fairies <laughs> the color palette in every single scene is 
beautiful and absolutely exquisite. I just love it. And actually, I was looking at it the other day. Um, I was using it as a reference for my son who's studying art. Mm-hmm. And I just sat down and watched it and enjoyed it. It was just beautiful. Um, but also, I, I really love films like Brave. Um, I love the textures in it and the the colours and just every time you see something like Mm. animation and how it moves on and progresses all the time and all the different styles of animation that you get as well. It's an art piece sometimes. When you you watch it, I mean, you say, wow, the the involvement, the the dedication, the way how they see things through. Yeah, sometimes uh, since we work in the industry, we know more or less how, how it works. But even us, sometimes we are... Astonished when we when we see those art pieces. Yeah, it's like the, it's composition on a page. Yeah, isn't exactly. It? It's like going to an art gallery. Sometimes it's the same thing. Sometimes, of course, not all of them, but sometimes, like as you man- was m- well mentioned, brave. Yeah, yeah, uh, was uh, was astonishing. And then you look at the different style of films as well. You look at the style of something like Sleeping Beauty and all the kind yeah. of elongated characters. And then it's really strange that sometimes you can see films that actually they jar you. I mean, I'm, I'm probably going to have a lot of people screaming <laughs> at the screen saying, no, but I absolutely hate Sleeping Be- Beauty and the Beast. Beauty <laughs> and the Beast. I can't bear it. <laughs> Something about it just yeah, doesn't sit well with me. <laughs> but put me in front of Brave or Ants or The Incredibles or, you know, Fantasia and, yeah, I'm yeah. lost. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's amazing. Uh, which director would you like to work with? Okay, I'm going big. It's got to be Christopher Nolan. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, that's an amazing choice. Yeah, the yeah amazing yeah amazing movies. Uh, which one have you have you liked of his? Or one? N- uh, it's very hard to say favorite. I hate this word. What's your favorite movie? Yeah. It doesn't work like this because I l- I favorite lo- in that moment maybe. But uh. yeah, I loved I loved Inception because um, I think everyone was kind of fascinated by it and sort of trying to pick it apart, but. I think back to things like Memento and how it just oh, yeah. it just amazing. blew everyone away. Yeah, yeah. It was just so um, it was just so original at the time. That's true. I mean, and I would choose Prestige was amazing. Was yeah, and uh, Insomnia as well uh, was very good. Uh, the battle between the characters and uh, the way how they shot and yeah, it's so really really uh, well made uh, that movie. Well, Prestige is quite an interesting one yeah. because for ages I would talk about it with people and it was almost like people hadn't seen it. And I think it's... That's gro- true, actually. It's, yeah, yeah. it's grown in popularity yeah, over the rem- years. It reminds me a lot. Uh, it's it's the movie that I talked already a lot about <laughs> in this podcast. Uh, it's Children of Men. Uh, uh, Alfonso Squaron uh, movie. I don't know if you... I think that's quite a scary movie. I, I have this whole genre of films. Uh, I can't yeah. watch anything that's scary because normally... I scream really loudly, <laughs> <laughs> and I then the whole cinema jumps. Uh, <laughs> Honestly, I get scared in Doctor Who. <laughs> so ah, okay, yeah, yeah, see, see. No, yeah. No, okay, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> if you did not see it, yeah, it's a very nice, uh, very nice movie, and it did not go well in the box office. Box office back then, it was released around 20, 2004, Sorry, around yeah. two thousand four. 
but I don't know why when you I, I rewatched it uh, during this like uh, let's say bre Brexit thing and it reminds me a lot of the situation that we are living now in in the UK. Is it the what? It's, uh, it's, it's with Clive Owen. And yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I won't. Wa yeah. yeah. Too scary. <laughs> too scary. People are trying to track them down. It's yeah. Yeah. Too scary. So uh, it's uh, the movie is amazing, but did not it did not go well uh, in the theaters. I think it was. This, I'm not sure, but I think it was the same with Prestige. Actually, one of the best movies on IMDb it's Shawshank Redemption. Oh God, that that's. That's an amazing movie. Yeah, but yeah. it did not it did not do do well on the box in the box office actually because it was very bad apparently. Yeah. <laughs> but it got popular over time. It's the yeah. same with the, I think it was the same with Prestige and uh, some other movies. Yeah, yeah. How easy it is to be a woman in the industry. I think sometimes um, over the years I found myself more in the minority as a woman mm -hmm. and um we all crave familiarity mm -hmm. so sometimes it's um when you're in working environments that are very predominantly male you aren't necessarily as comfortable as you could be mm -hmm. if it was a more balanced environment um but um has it been difficult working as a woman? Uh, probably no different than other industries where you might be in that situation. My father was an engineer mm -hmm. uh, who designed car engines, and I think it was a similar environment. There were sort of 50 male engineers and mm. two female engineers. Okay, yeah. You know, so uh, I think that does happen. I think maybe if you were a male in a very female-dominated yeah, of course, environment, it would be the same thing. Yeah. yeah, it would be the same thing. No, that's true. Do you see a switch in the industry over the years? Are things changing for the better to be uh, more fair and inclusive, especially in senior senior positions? I think there's been a huge movement in the industry for inclusivity in the last five or six years mm -hmm. you know in the last uh during that time you've had organizations like access visual effects um you've had the ipa um setting targets for the amount of women in senior positions um and i think that has highlighted the position i mean in the last few years, you know, you've had women in advertising, you've had um, animated women UK, um, and then there's been lots of events for female networking. Mm -hmm. So I think there is more of an awareness with those events happening that there should be more of a movement to having a more balanced um, and, and a more evenly sort of distributed situation with senior roles between male and female um have i seen it happen i think it's still a work in progress mm -hmm. really okay uh yeah sorry but actually one of the things i would say as well is um there are lots of companies where they do exist because um when i first started in the industry back in the early 90s i left because um I couldn't really see any women over mm -hmm. the age of 30, although there were several women 
that were managing directors and in senior roles. But I, I was sort of thinking, well, where will I be? You know, when I'm 40, where will I be when I'm 50? I can't see women like that. And I want a career that's got a, lo- a long-term progression to mm-hmm. it. Um, so they were in senior roles. Um, but actually, and, and now what's happened is a lot of my friends have stayed in the industry and they've all grown up and, you know, a lot of them have gone into senior roles. Maybe some of them didn't have the opportunities that maybe they should have been given possibly um i can't comment on that i think it's everywhere it's not only in our industry actually no i think so yes yeah um but i found it easier coming back to the industry because i when i came back i i could see that there were old women in the industry Mm. that um had roles and had kind of progressed their careers and i thought well yeah this is an industry i could work in uh, so that you know, mm-hmm. yeah. I, w- I was uh, f- having taken time out. It wasn't something that I thought. No, I can't see myself going back to there. I can't see that there's a career there for me. I could see that those opportunities would be there. I see. Has the two moves? <laughs> I'm inventing new words now. That's amazing. <laughs> Sorry about that. Has has the Me Too movement? Uh, participated in improving women's uh, conditions in the in our industry especially i think the me too movement um i'm not aware of what they have specifically done Mm -hmm. but i think what they've done is highlight a situation i mean the me too movement you know initially came about through um what i believe was kind of inappropriate behaviors in the workplace yes yeah but now um, I think the Me Too movement has highlighted equality. So um, when you think that the Equal Pay Act was introduced in the UK 1970. <laughs> that was a long time ago. <laughs> it was a very long time ago. Yeah. But also in the 90s, you had organisations like the BBC advertising uh, equality um, for everyone mm-hmm. um, and promoting um, um, diversity. But very, very recently, we had situations where it was public knowledge that male presenters were being paid more than female presenters. Mm, yeah, I heard about that. It was a couple of years ago, no? Yeah, it was a couple of years ago and it was in the papers a lot mm-hmm. and there was a big movement about it. and. You know, because of that, well, not because of that, but also at around the same time, uh, we have um, government laws about promoting um, equality in pay Mm -hmm. and um, more uh, transparency in equality in pay. Um, So there's a a lot of a lot of things that are happening in the background and a lot of sort of governing bodies are doing things, you know, organisations like the IPA. Um, that have promoted the idea that 40% of women should be in management positions. Mm. Um, and and I think um, it will be interesting over the next five years how that progresses. Yeah, definitely. What do you think is the first, first step in turning around the, this problem? Um, <laughs> 
I really wish I knew the answer <laughs> to that. I think no one, <laughs> no one has the answer. I don't think anyone has that answer, but I think there's lots of things happening in the background. I mean, for example, um, recently I went to a film school um, in, in a recruitment role, and I walked into that film school, and 80% of the people in the room were women. Hmm. Um, and then I went back to my office and looked at my department and it wasn't 80% female. <laughs> I would wasn't say it made quite the opposite. <laughs> yeah, it probably was. <laughs> but at some point, I think women are more attracted to the film industry mm -hmm. now and they have more of the technical skills. Uh, they don't seem to be afraid of it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think... If you're going to film schools and 80% of the women in a, are, you know, 80% of the course is female, or even if they're 50% female, in five or 10 years' time, we should expect those yeah. departments to be 50% equal, equal. Of course, it has to reflect. Yeah, it has to reflect what's going on yeah. outside in the real world. Um, and at the moment, I think it doesn't. Um, and I think think that's possibly uh i think that kind of goes back to the classrooms mm -hmm. a lot but you know you've got organizations that are going around and uh you've got organizations like access visual effects mm -hmm. um and other different organizations that are going around and trying to uh get to the classrooms and get to the students that might not think that visual effects is for them and promote the idea mm -hmm. um, that um, it is a career that women can do. Do you think the fact that in our field we are behind the screen, it's easier to hide the disparities or pretend they don't exist rather than in Hollywood, for instance? I think that there's a lot of focus on Hollywood because it's something we can see, but I think there are a lot of industries that struggle with disparities and I think that must be the reason why we have more transparency in equal pay mm -hmm. um, and those rules have been introduced in recent years um, because obviously that that must be a situation for them to introduce rules to protect um, equality in pay yeah can we say that tokenization is present in the VFX industry, or if so, how is, is that manifested? I'm not really aware of ever experiencing tokenization. You know, I've never been party to or heard of anything like that. Um, but what I am aware of is... Um, I think it's a growing thing and it will expand. Um, you know, there's more talk about women being in senior roles um, and there's movements to get people from different classes um, and different backgrounds to be more representative mm -hmm. of the world out there. But something that has always sat... Uh, not sat uncomfortably something I've always been aware of is 
I had a severely physically disabled father mm-hmm. who um, went through night school and became um, he became an engineer. Mm-hmm. And uh, he managed a team of about 25 people, wow. but he, um, he wore metal calipers. So, you know, he drove with hand controls. Uh, life wasn't easy for him, but I maybe his disability was because of polio and that's not an illness we have but I look around and um, I don't always see as many people with disabilities in our industry Um, I also have a child with autism Mm -hmm. and I know there's a big movement uh, to find autistic people employment Uh, but again there's there's sort of uh, there, there are a diversity of disabilities and I know a lot of them are hidden mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. um, but you don't see a lot of well you very rarely see people with disabilities in our industry um, but I, I'm, I'm not as far as tokenization is concerned uh, I I think it would be um, it would be a very sort of difficult and sort of cynical approach to Mm -hmm. have someone as a token yeah of course makes sense have there been instances where you wanted to give up (laughs) every day it's 32 degrees outside (laughs) (laughs) and i I could be on holiday somewhere (laughs) by the beach Yeah, I think everyone. <laughs> I think everyone feels like <laughs> yeah. that when you're melting and you walk into a room with, the, you know, with the air conditioning unit, as it's, <laughs> you know, falling apart and mobile air conditioning units and a whole load of screens on. <laughs> That's the day you want to give up. <laughs> I totally agree. I would do the same. <laughs> <laughs> But we live in the UK, so, uh, yeah. you know, it rarely happens. <laughs> Uh, any experiences that stood out that you'd like to share with us? Um, actually, it's a sort of slightly uplifting one more than anything, which is um, in um, 2015, the government introduced shared parental leave. Yes. And I found it so inspiring. The first person I saw share their maternity leave I just thought that was fabulous. You know, um, when I had my first child, my husband didn't even get paternity leave. You know, it wasn't introduced, I think, till months after our child was born. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just think it's fabulous that people can do that and fathers can take uh, um, paid paternity. I always get them muddled up. There's parental leave and paternity leave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, you know, the fact that a father can take two weeks off and get paid for it or uh, to be with their child and that they have the opportunity to share um, that first year of their child's life. I think that's, you know, a wonderful thing that we're moving in the right direction. Maybe we'll end up like Scandinavia. Wow. That's you know. uh, yeah. It's two <laughs> Maybe. years each parent, I think, something like that. Yeah. I, I had the chance to work a couple of months in Sweden. Yeah. And yeah, they, were, they are like... Uh, Light years, uh, I mean, uh, I mean, we, we are light is behind them, <laughs> and say that uh, in terms of uh, yeah, um, 
yeah equalities and many, many other things in my opinion but uh, yeah especially especially for paternity leave or parental leave or yeah it's unbelievable yeah i i you know i you kind of read articles that actually it's uh, it's sort of almost like a badge of honor that you've done it you know yeah, for the guys yeah, yeah. you know and they're really proud of it and I, yeah i just think that would be great wouldn't it you yeah know? definitely i totally agree yeah <laughs> Uh, do you have any degrees, if in, in, if so, in any field? Um, I don't have a degree because I went into... I literally came straight from school at the age of 18 and sort of got, like, the most minimal, you know, minor job kind of and worked my way up. Uh, but I did, when I was at home with my children, I went back to study mm -hmm. and I studied uh, psychodynamic counselling. Wow, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get I didn't get the degree I did uh, I did a course which was kind of up to the level of the first year of a degree and then I kind of re I don't know I sort of thought about it and I thought it was immense responsibility and I it just wasn't a responsibility I wanted to take and I m I missed the fact that actually I'd stepped away from anything visual mm -hmm. yeah. um, and that's when I thought I'm being pulled back so we can be a VFX producer or producer without having any particular degree in the yep. field. Yeah, you can. I do think the uh, psychodynamic counselling was very interesting because there was a lot mm -hmm. to do with kind of group dynamics and um, actually about interaction between people. And when you're trying to manage a group of people and for them all to work uh in a, in a harmonious way, mm -hmm. um, s degrees don't really teach you that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the hard way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, if you're curious. Yeah, you, exactly. You I, think I, th I think it's for everything, but unfortunately for some industries, I'm not talking about vi visual mm. effects, but for some industries it's almost impossible to get in unless mm. you have a degree. You're not necessarily good at it, but yeah. you have a degree I do that field. I do find uh, the process of application now is very different. Mm -hmm. Most of my jobs I sort of initially started out through word of mouth because because I started off in advertising, mm -hmm. people knew me, I had different connections, they knew that I, if you gave me a project that I would see it through to the end, that I would be responsible mm -hmm. and that I would be sort of considered and measured mm -hmm. in how I approached that. But, you know, I try to apply for different companies and then you sort of get onto the landing page and, it's, you know, the process of applying for some of these jobs is almost like a four or five hour process. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know how, how it is for producer or VFX producer because, for instance, as you know, for artists, it's showreel or demo reel or portfolio. And yes, it's much easier and yeah, LinkedIn is so. a great how, thing. How, how, I'm curious, how does it work for producer? I think for producers, again, I think it is very much, again, word of mouth, your reputation, you know, if somebody's looking for somebody or also you have headhunters out there and different organisations and LinkedIn's a great thing, you know, for I, when I recruited, I was always looking on LinkedIn um, and now I'm a producer, you know, that's how people contact me. I was freelance producing for mm -hmm. a while and uh, a lot of work came that way. Or actually networking. Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, of course. But if, for, insta uh, for instance, I, I think it's the same for you, but I don't have any, in my family background, I don't have anyone working in any artistic field. Yeah. So how, for instance, I'm 20 years old. 
not anymore, but imagine if I am 20 years old, <laughs> uh, what would be the best process for me to get in the VFX industry as a producer? As a producer? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, I would say go to a lot of industry events. There's lots of uh, events that you can go to. Um, keep an eye out for those. As an artist, I just think the work always speaks. And actually, one thing I have to say my pet hate was people would have uh, reels that were maybe seven minutes long and <laughs> they would start in a timeline of maybe their first thing <laughs> or and they would kind of build it up and sometimes you'd find fabulous work and it was buried at seven minutes and sometimes when you're in a hurry and you're looking for somebody um, and it's a really really busy time of year and everybody else is looking for somebody so there's a shortage of artists around maybe there's big projects on big, big film projects and and then I have to get sort of the head of department to sit through a number of reels for my head of department to kind of wait whilst I fast forward to seven minutes in a film. <laughs> it's like, if you've got something great, stick it right at the front, yeah, you exactly. know. People I'm don't have time to look no. at seven minutes long reel. Yeah, or even if it's three or four minutes, you know, don't bury it, bury it at the end as your big finale. Yeah. You know, stick it all up the front, wow them, wow them. First minute, two minutes should be wowing. All the stuff you're not so sure of, that's got to go on the end because by then they've, you know, they've made up their mind. Yeah, no, I s that's completely, completely true. Sometimes uh, I've been in the industry for little, little, little while, I would say, and uh, some, some people coming to the industry asking, I said, look, my, <laughs> my, my story is one minute long. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> and I've been, I have been in the industry for more than 10 years. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, short and sharp, you good enough, I mean, it has to be, uh, yeah, <coughs> efficient from of of almost the the first look. So well, everybody's time poor at the moment, aren't yeah. they? It's it's it seems to be the thing that everything seems to be organised by people who think that that one project is the only thing you've got to see. You know, like you go onto websites or you know you try and buy something or you try and apply for something and. Uh, we're also time poor mm -hmm. now so that actually you know you need to get that information there in front of being people and quickly and the other thing i would say um recently i helped somebody write their cv a young person and uh they hadn't had any experience uh in production but they'd had experience in managing teams and they'd had experience with budgeting mm -hmm. and they'd had experience with scheduling, um, albeit it was actually in, um, it was actually within uh, running restaurants and running mm -hmm. pubs. But I said, actually those skills you've got, you know, you've got dealing with the public, you've got dealing with staff, hiring and firing staff, you know, all of those are skills that are transferable. So, um, you know, look at the experience you've got uh, whether or not you've been to film school or not or look at other part-time jobs you've had and think about how those skills are transferable you know even if it's working in a shoe shop you know you've had experience of managing people's needs mm -hmm. but look at those skills and think about how they can be 
transferable and how those skills might be appealing to an employer. That's very good advice. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, I don't see too many, uh, let's say, production schools. I see a lot of VFX schools for artists, but I don't see too many VFX uh, production schools or production schools, uh, period. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I think, well, actually, an awful lot of people just work their way up in production, you know, so whether or not it's starting in reception or... Mm. Yeah, or true. Or yeah, starting yeah. I as... I forget about that, yeah. Or starting as a runner and yeah, saying yeah, you want, want to do yeah. producing. Um, people tend to kind of work their way up, but once you actually develop the technical skills and uh, the technical know-how, um, you know, you'll get... you you'll develop, you know, yeah. you'll move on. Of course. Um, but the main thing is just always be curious, always be asking. Um, you know, sometimes I kick myself and I think, why didn't I ask that? Or sometimes I ask and think, wow, what does that mean? You know, but, <laughs> then, you know, but then get people to clarify it and try and get them to break it down mm -hmm. to a level that you do understand. Yeah, it's layering. Like, yeah, layer yeah. after layer after layer. And then you, you get to understand the proper meaning of things sometimes. It depends, it depends yeah. on the situation. Depend of who are we talking to as well. It's a lot of parameters. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, I think we more or less answered to the next question, but I will ask it, uh, ask it anyway. When you first started applying to work in VFX, do you remember how many places you have applied to? It's more... Uh, I would say that I've been really fortunate and most things I've applied to I've got uh, but actually once I was in roles and then trying to move sometimes I found that harder and maybe that was also because um, I was just really busy working mm, I see, yeah, yeah. so it was kind of making the time to do it mm -hmm. as well um, because you kind of you know when you're really focused on projects and deadlines um Putting aside time to apply for something else is just at the bottom of the pile sometimes, depending on... Were, were, were there many studios back then? Uh, there weren't an awful lot of studios. <laughs> um, yeah, I think my f the very first job that I went into in visual effects, I'd actually worked in a sound recording studio beforehand, and uh, one of the clients had remembered me mm -hmm. and had put me forward uh, to the post house that I applied to. Okay. So, uh, you know, again, it was kind of word of mouth, word of mouth yeah. really. Nice. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it feels like it was much <laughs> easier. It, it was, <laughs> but I think it can still happen now. You know, it's yeah, of course. But if if you have, I mean, uh, but yeah. it's being in the industry to start with, isn't it? Exactly. But if you're new... Yeah, if you're new, it's hard, but... Uh, I would also say networking's a really good of thing. Of course. So yeah. I, I know people who have turned up at events and chatted to people and they've remembered them. You know, I know myself when I've gone to film schools, you know, you meet people and you remember them and you chat to them and they make an impression on you... Um, you know, animation festivals, you know, places like Annecy yeah, and stuff. Yeah, MFX, F FMX, sorry. FMX, yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, and there's just lots of different, you know, there's things like women in advertising yes, that, yes. that prior to lockdown mm -hmm. had events. Um, there's a lot of organisations that do, and if you turn up at those and, you know, there'll be lots of people there who are always 
help you know happy to chat you know I, I have on occasions chatted to people about easy ways for them to kind of apply to companies or who they should talk to mm-hmm. um, you know maybe slightly more direct routes that they could take mm-hmm. um, yeah you know there's a lot of people who, d- who are who do want to help and you know mentoring is a huge thing in the industry that's amazing I love yeah. what's a, that, that's what one of the things that I love about this industry it's it's unbelievable I remember back when I I started like years ago and I mean I, I learned more work, working for I mean uh, working um, um, around for a month rather like four year studies studies you know all, all, all that studies mm. I mean uh, in uni it's unbelievable it's bec- mainly because a lot of people around me mm. senior or just uh, junior or any any position w- were keen to teach me how things are working yeah they 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 never leave you the uh, by yourself there and wondering around what's happening there is always mm. someone next to you uh, or in the company keen or uh, very helpful actually yeah i mean actually you know, uh, when I did work in a larger team, there were certain members of staff who were just phenomenal at mentoring people, and they really enjoyed it, and yeah. uh, they found it really rewarding. And actually, going back to the point of me getting back into the visual effects industry, mm-hmm. I'd actually taken 12 years out with my children. I was terrified. I didn't think I... 12 years. 12 years. That's a lot. Yeah, it was <laughs> a long while. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I had one child, and he had difficulties, and then the second child came along, and... I just wanted to be there, um, you know, for them. Of and then course. and then suddenly it just seemed like the right time. And um, I just, I, th- I thought, well, how on earth am I getting back into this? You know, everything's changed, everything's moved on. And a great friend of mine uh, made a suggestion. She was an agency producer and she said, why don't you volunteer? Mm-hmm. So I... I happen, I was very fortunate. I knew someone who was very senior in the company, and I said, "Can I come and volunteer? I'll just come and help out two days a week." You know, I want to get back to work. Um, I want to get familiar with things. Uh, so I did that for a, a few weeks. They mm-hmm. were really kind. Big shout out to Unit TV here or <laughs> <laughs> Unit Visual Effects, whatever they're called now. Um, but they were really kind and they really helped me. Um, and then from that, it sort of led to me bumping into other people that I'd worked with um, and other people that were saying, oh, right, so, you know, you're serious. You're serious about coming back. Um, and then other really good, you know, people that I'd worked with in the past, good friends, said come back and freelance for us. And then it sort of grew and it snowballed. So, but for people who haven't worked in the industry, um, I would say anything you can do, anything that you can go make connections, anything you could volunteer for. I know that financially not everybody can volunteer, mm-hmm. but anything to get your sort of foot in the door and meet people, that's what I would do. I think determination is key anyways for any any condition or any position. I think it's, it's everything. It doesn't matter the experience. It's more how determined you are to reach your goal, I think. Yeah, yeah, totally. Amazing. Okay, so uh, yes, nah, that's a tricky question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the cinema and, in this case, VFX industry, 
is notorious for its lengthy working hours. Is that your experience? Um, yes. <laughs> 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 There's no point me denying it. <laughs> it does do long hours. Not always. Um, I wouldn't say it's a continuous thing, but yes, it is lengthy working hours. Um, I am quite curious how that will progress and whether or not it can continue because currently we are a very young industry. So I was, uh, when I first started in visual effects, uh, we had a 3D department and it was only two, D, two 3D artists. I think there was, I think MPC had four. Wow. <laughs> so, you know, I, I only knew of about sort of, I don't know, six, maybe seven 3D <laughs> artists at the time. Now there's thousands out there, and um, they're all growing up within the industry. And currently, uh, the legal age that you can retire in the UK is 60 for women, no, 65 for women, and 67 for men. And I wonder what's going to happen with the industry over time yeah. when all those artists, even the flame artists, mm -hmm. you know, there aren't really that many flame artists that are no, they're, approaching they're the age of 60 yeah. or over. And, um, you know, they're all really highly skilled individuals, Ooh, wow. yeah, massively skilled individuals. Um, and the first wave of artists often went off and set up their own companies and their own facilities and some of them stepped away from operating and went, went more into management roles but that can't happen for everyone <laughs> <laughs> so yeah I, d I do wonder what will happen about the hours culture over the next 15-20 uh, years mm. and whether or not that will change did you learn ways to put boundaries did I um I think I made decisions that put those boundaries in. So maybe I made career decisions initially to put boundaries in. Um, and uh, of some of the things, I know when my children were much younger, mm -hmm. for example, I didn't go into production. I was in resources. Uh, okay. um, and with resources, yes, you can work a bit later, but you're not so much, um, you're not sort of, and yes, there will be deadlines, but often you can take the work home with you. Mm, um, but I think what's going to be interesting now with COVID um, is what will happen in the future and how many people will be in positions where they can work from home more mm -hmm. um, and split their, their work between the office and home. It, it, w it will be interesting. I mean, often you have people in this industry that really love their jobs, really love the craft, otherwise we wouldn't be doing it, really. Of course. Um, and um, you can always choose to walk away if you want to, but also when you've made a commitment to a career path, you know, and you've developed a skill set, you want to stay doing that. So um, I think it's easier from a production point of view because um, you can manage a project more um, but sometimes you are put into situations where something needs to be done. Of course. And, and something needs to be completed, and for lots of different reasons, sometimes there's just last-minute changes, and that's the way it works. But 
There seems to be something in industry generally that people are talking about more is longer hours. And it, it's not just post-production industry. It seems to be over a lot of fields. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know why that is. <laughs> I know I know. when I lived in Australia, they had, uh, at the time, they had a healthier attitude towards working hours. But I believe they're quite similar too now. Mm-hmm. Okay. As a former recruiter, what's, in your opinion, one biggest assets to be able to work in VFX Studio or VFX Studios? Communication. Okay. Um, you've got to be able to be a team player. Um, and I think sometimes that can come over sometimes when you're talking to people. Um, being being open and sometimes people will come along and uh, they feel the need to tell to um, imply that they know it and mm. and actually you know nobody knows everything yeah you know I would have people in really senior roles saying well I don't know how to do that and I don't know how to do this yes I'd like to learn it more and y- you know you're always learning you're always learning so coming along and sort of trying to imply that you know you know it is a, a really dangerous tact to take but very few people did it but th- that was always my one big like oh <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure about this uh, but yeah communication and actually uh, being someone that you think is open and would be kind of open to kind of working with other people and you ultimately if you've got a group of four or five people that work really well and everybody gets on and it's a really nice working environment Mm -hmm. you don't want to put somebody in that environment that's going to upset everybody yeah definitely i totally agree you know because actually you owe it to the people of course who you've already employed more or less yeah they've built it they've worked hard they've done the hours you don't want to put somebody in who is too um who's only going to think, who may come over as only thinking about themselves. Sorry to say this, but it looks like a virus, we introduced a virus to a group and will infect all the others. Well, they always say, don't they? They say there's no I, uh, there's no I in team. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) that's true, actually. Are there values that uh, the industry has lost over time or any uh, that you wish existed when you start working, you started working, sorry. Um, I think, um, I think the longer hours has changed in that when I first started, um, I remember our graders that used to come in very early in the morning and often would be working very late in the evening. We used to give them a day off every week. Mm. They used to do four day weeks, you know, I mean, that's kind of, um, unusual now I yeah would, i would probably say um but I, I it was probably because they regularly did very long hours uh but you know we would always work really hard to give them that day off um um but you know having said that there is now in some companies there's a system of giving people doyles you know days in lieu so people can claim a certain amount of time back um I also think 
the industry was so new that uh, it always surprised me because I'd come from really big agencies of sort of 500 people, four or mm-hmm. 500 people. And we had HR departments with, you know, three or four people in the HR department. And then you would join, you would go to different companies, your friends would go to different companies. And a lot of companies were owned by one person and they were very small companies. A lot of them might only be 15 people or, you know, up to 50 or 60 people. And the managing director was essentially your HR team. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, and now I think there's just so much more legislation and there are more HR teams involved. But mm-hmm. sometimes, um, because of that, sometimes you've lost a bit more of the humanity of the smaller mm. teams. So, I, you know, it was always a big thing if it was somebody's birthday, we'd, we'd get a cake and you'd have drinks and, uh, you know, you'd all kind of beat up. I don't know if the bigger companies have so much room for that now. Um, I don't know, because I think it used to be more like this at some point, even for big companies. I remember I had I had similar experience experience in big companies, but it looks like it's fading. Away. Yes, yeah, it, it, and I think when I first came back, it was like that. But uh, over the last few years, that seems to have faded yeah. a bit. I remember um, we had one head of HR, and if somebody had a baby, they would we would tell them, and they always had a little box for sort of boys yeah. or girls, and they would send them a gift. For the bait for the newborn baby, and um, I think that those personal touches, um, maybe they are, you know, maybe they're still there in some companies. But no, I for think, sure I there think, is. I think a few companies have lost that. Maybe. No, I'm sure there is, but it looks like the bigger is the company, the less. I don't know why, but uh, I don't know what's the reason. But mm-hmm. it looks like the bigger is the company, the less attention to detail we have. I would say. Mm-hmm. Because this is a very interesting bond actually between the company and the the employee. Yeah, it's like a family. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So ex- yeah, you feel like okay, you're connected to you because you you don't most of the time you don't know the owners uh, in big companies. No, no, you don't, and often you can be in the lift with them and not even realize. Yeah, who they you are. don't know. You don't know who yeah. they are. But, but so yeah. your the, the let's say the the mirror of the CEO or MD of that company is your producer most mm. of the, most of the time the, your PM or PA uh, so they reflect even if of course we can't put everything on them but they they are the reflection of yes. the company and sometimes even the CEOs of the company never ask for that never ask for those touches or those details touch, touches sorry, or those details that create that bond between uh, a lot of people inside the company but this helps a lot uh, to feel like uh, uh, more among those people rather than uh, to be feel part of a community. Exactly. Yeah. 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 No, I agree. Um, it's quite important to have that. I mean, where I currently work, we're a much smaller team. Uh, we're actually owned by a much larger company, but we do feel like a family. Yeah. And uh, I don't, I, I don't know how you get that really. I mean, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I have really great managers at that's the amazing. moment. Yeah. Um, and that's like you know, I, I feel very lucky on in that part that's that's a good thing to know (laughs) (laughs) Uh, do you find the industry to be accommodating to people when they need time off for several reasons like health uh, 
how many meters parenting? So I've been so. really lucky, actually. Um, I, I've been really fortunate. Um, maybe less. Well, that actually goes back to your point about what we've gained and what we've lost. Mm -hmm. yeah. When I first started out in the industry, no. Uh, you know, I, I remember I had a car crash and there was a Ooh. lot of pressure on me at the time. I'm talking about sort of 20 25 years ago there was a lot mm -hmm. of pressure on me not to go to the physio but to stay oh, and wow. do my job um that just wouldn't happen now you know now we've gone the other way where you know when i was managing people it was go and look after your yeah. health and everybody felt that people should look after their health bereavement bereavement was a big thing i i had a bereavement and i was so supported by my manager um and you know, people accept now that if you have a, a family member and they're ill, uh, you know, that we have that humanity uh, in us you, that um, nobody wants to see somebody in emotional distress in the office. We've all learned that lesson over the years that that's just not conducive. Um, you know, it's not healthy. And actually, who wants to be that person? But I, th I can happily say um, in the sort of six or seven years that I've been back in the workplace, um, I've always felt supported. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Uh, Actually, big shout out to my current manager on that part because he's been great in the last year. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> uh, how are men mental health issues being tackled in our industry? I think the big problem with mental health, and I've learned this through my studies, um, studying psychodynamic counselling, is that actually the person who struggles with mental health often is unaware of it themselves. Mm -hmm. So actually the first step for that person is to recognise it and ask for help. Mm. Um, and whether or not that's going to a doctor or not, you know, really that should be the first step. Actually mm -hmm. going to the doctor and asking for help and recognising that there's no stigma. There was, in the past, there was, it was seen as a stigma, but 30% of, peop of people of the population will struggle with depression and mental health issues. Mm -hmm. So um, you're more likely to have an issue with your mental health in your lifetime than most other things in life. Probably more, you know, more likely to have an issue with mental health probably than you are to get married and remain married. Yeah, that's yeah, unbelievable. Um, super know, important. But, and also, you know, there's so much in the media about it. I mean, you only have to look at the royal family and how much they're promoting mental health and well-being mm -hmm. um it's a very different world now uh, to sort of 20 or 30 years ago um and i really hope that anyone who is struggling does get help and does feel supported and does feel heard if it happens to them we hope so yeah as a father to a toddler i found it tricky to blame uh to sorry to blame I'm really sorry I have to take back this question. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need to blame anyone <laughs> except myself. <laughs> uh, as a father to a toddler, I find it tricky to balance my personal life and my career. 
is it possible to combine parenthood and a career in the industry? I think that's very specific to each person. So it depends, one, what your partner does, mm -hmm. uh, whether or not you have family around you, what support networks you have. Um, I, when, when my first child was born, um, I had a husband who was flying off on shoots. So it would have been harder. Um, I did go back to work uh, for six months or so, and then my child... Uh, was diagnosed with autism so mm. actually for me it was my personal choice was to stay at home and uh, you know now he's at art college and he's getting distinguished for the last two years and he's doing Amazing. fabulously so very proud of him but for a lot of people I think it really is a case-by-case -case basis you know if your partner's in the industry and is doing really long hours as well and um you don't have a support network around you. I mean, I think everybody with a young toddler is jealous of the person they know who has a mother that lives up the road. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> that's, re that's really true. Oh, we've all hated that person. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the only one then. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Green with envy. <laughs> How to avoid toxic environments working in VFX? I actually, as time has gone on, I I actually try and avoid them or move. <laughs> 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 because um, I think a, a toxic environment is interesting because sometimes you may feel that it comes from above you, but sometimes it can actually come from the people who are alongside you, mm. who um, I've, I don't really feel I've ever experienced it from above. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I felt it from people who have seen me as someone who maybe is that competition for the next, the next move. Mm -hmm. um, and, and sometimes though I have felt myself in a similar position, I've actually kind of learned, you know, if you've got skills and you've got great skills and you don't feel it's the place for you for whatever reason, you might see it as toxic. Somebody else might absolutely love it. Mm. <laughs> but look around. There's lots of work out there. You know, if you if you don't think you're in um, in a place which suits you, you don't like the company culture, you know, that's not the only company. There's lots of other companies. Or so create one. <laughs> yeah, or create one. Yeah, exactly. You know, but, but actually, um, it is quite interesting how, you know, I think there must be as many different company cultures as there are people, you know. Yeah, true. Everybody's got different ways of doing things. So, it, you know, somebody, your idea of toxicity might be someone el else's idea that's, of this is my true. kind of place <laughs> yeah that's true actually because a lot of people are coming from different background and different way of think thinking i would say um, different mindset so the mm. toxicity might be different from one person to another actually could be two people from the same family actually you never know yeah exactly we yeah we deal yeah we deal with different things depending on the situation anyways yeah, but I, I've sort of, um, I've actually kind of got to the point where I think life's a bit too short. Yeah. You know, why fight something that, you know, do you want to fight it? 
do you want to make that change in that situation and if you don't want to sort of donate all your energy to it you know or if you do is it worth it you know or actually are you better off doing something different moving somewhere else trying something else you know keep your keep within your career but just try somewhere else I agree. Or maybe step back a bit and go back mm. to it a uh, second time. Maybe it might work. Maybe not. And then, then, yeah, yeah, we can w- we can think about, about something else. Or yeah, or move 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 elsewhere. And sometimes it's about your own expectations as well. I've seen people who've got themselves in a bit of a state over their own expectations and not really stepped back, looked at the situation, and said actually have i earned that position mm-hmm. that can happen occasionally yeah, true. have i earned that position actually do i have that experience to merit that responsibility um i'm not saying that's the case all the time of course yeah but um, i think we I th- sometimes I agree, yeah. sometimes you are overlooked you yeah, know yeah, yeah. sometimes you just are um but actually sometimes thinking something's toxic you can sort of be a little bit sort of uh a bit tunnel vision about things sometimes mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know um and actually sometimes trying to see things from other people's perspective um yeah sometimes you are just sitting alongside someone who's not that pleasant <laughs> <laughs> you know it can work both ways sometimes you, you just it need a break a holiday for a couple of weeks or like a couple of days to refresh our minds and maybe Yeah, and sometimes it can be actually that uh, other things are happening to you that you're seeing things in a negative way. And as you said, you have a break, you look at it differently and you think... Of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah I totally agree with that. As a former recruiter, is it possible to avoid toxic people entering the DFX... Oh, sorry, the environment that you're working in? Um... I think you, as a recruiter, you try and avoid that because and it gets back to my other point, which is if you've got sort of 10, 20 people who are working along nicely, why introduce someone that's yeah. going to, you know, put the cat amongst the pigeons? <laughs> 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 nobody, wa- nobody wants to, no. <laughs> wants to do that. But, you know, sometimes it does happen and sometimes people change, you know. yeah. yeah, yeah. People grow and sometimes they get responsibility and sometimes it all goes to their head. (laughs) That can happen too. But could we spot, I mean, of course, with your experience, because I'm sure you've seen hundreds, even though it's not thousands of people in front of you. Could you spot it a bit? Sometimes you can. Yeah. 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 Sometimes you can. Sometimes, you know, you walk away and you go, oh, no, (laughs) he's going to upset or she's going to upset. You know, I can't, you know that's not going to be a mix that works together well. Uh, but sometimes people that you, you know, you th- also people can try and play you a little bit. You know, yeah. you know, you sometimes you can spot it. You like to think most of the time you can, but you can't always. Yeah. Um, and also uh, what can happen is people have ambitions and they run alongside each other and they, they both have, vying ambitions and that can create tension um and then you know if you can and if you're managing that team you sort of try and uh keep them apart (laughs) (laughs) if you can (laughs) you can't always you know Uh, do you notice a difference in the way the industry is evolving with the new newer generations 
Um, some, I think there's a couple of things. Sometimes, uh, you know, the older generation like to talk about the apprentice generation, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> they blame it all yeah. on the apprentice. Yeah. That Alan Sugar. <laughs> or Donald Trump. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think some, you know, I think older generations sometimes like to blame the younger generation and say, oh, they all think they're entitled. But then I look back and think, hey, I was an account manager by the time I was 21. Wow. And I was managing an Oxford graduate. Yeah, that's so, amazing. So actually, has it changed? I'm not sure if it has. <laughs> yeah. um, I think uh, the younger generation, I think they're coming out of schools and... There's a lot to do with being taught equality. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of discussion around unconscious bias, although actually I think bias is being taught to people. It, it's subliminal. It's around you all the time. Of it's course. in TV shows. Mm -hmm. it's, it's in music promos. You know, I never forget watching my five-year-old dancing to a music promo and um, her view was that you had to wear your pants because that's what pop stars <laughs> did. <laughs> and I, I suddenly went, yeah, when, when did it become that all, all female pop stars could only sing in a pair of knickers? <laughs> when did that happen? You know, I don't see men doing that. <laughs> um, so in some ways they're being taught uh, to be more inclusive, mm -hmm. but I actually then look at sort of images and that's not what's kind of being peddled at them and i know there's a lot of discussion in the music industry yeah. about that at the moment but um yeah i i really like to think that um a lot of them are going to be coming out of these schools and um that they're going to feel more entitled and feel that they they can you know that they won't be like me looking and going oh there's no women here over the age of 30 yeah yeah <laughs> Of course, not everyone is seeing the same thing from the same perspective anyways. Yeah. It's like the old generation won't accept the new or the millennials. I would hate this. Yeah, I hate bread. that yeah, saying. I hate that saying. Yeah, they call us, or call <laughs> millennials. Or yeah. Maybe because older generation don't use smartphone as much as we do, for instance. So, yeah, a lot of things changed. I think it was the same with our parents and the parents of our parents. It's, it's a generation, generational issues or way of things in seeing things. Y yeah, but I actually think why create that tension between generations as well? You know, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think you uh, you can necessarily blame it on generations. You know, I know I was ambitious at nineteen and twenty one and twenty five as well as I was at 35. Yeah, things, I think things over time never changed. Ambition or determination yeah. or things like that. I, I mean, it's the same through generation. If we need, we need, if you want to succeed or reach, reach your proper goal, you have to work, you have to be ambitious, determined, so on and so forth. And also responsible of course. And, and conscientious. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. actually, if you're not, you're not going to make it anyway. So I don't think things have changed. You know, I've watched young artists you know straight out of college months out of college putting their head down working hard grafting 
learning the skills and doing everything they can to expand their knowledge. I mean, they often say, don't they, you know, people come out of university and actually the first job is when you really start to learn. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah I totally agree with that. I, m- I remember I turned com- a page when I, yeah, okay, I just got in the industry. That's it. I have to learn everything now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's exactly like that, how I saw it back then when I started, actually. It's like, okay, I turned that page. I need to create a new one now. So yeah. yeah. Let's move on. Amazing. Two left. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what has been your overall experience in the industry and across the, the boards? What would you like uh, our listener to keep in mind? Um, my concern for the future is ageism. Because mm. I think everybody's getting older and um, what are we going to do in 15, 20 years time when everybody's a senior? Mm-hmm. You know, at the moment we've got kind of quite diverse departments mm-hmm. because it's a newish industry. You've got people in their sort of uh, 40s, some people in their 50s. I don't, don't really see anyone older than that. I don't th- th- there is no very, very yeah, few yeah, people exactly. older than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just sort of think, well, you know, in 10 years' time, those people are going to be pushing 60. And that huge pool of people in their 20s, they're all going to be in their 30s, and the 30s are going to be in their 40s. And everybody's going to be really experienced. And I just want people to have long-term careers because if they can't retire till they're 67 or 65 um i want them all to be in employment you know yeah and maybe that's maybe that's a really foolish thing to say but it is a really young industry and watching it evolve i just uh i'm just curious more than anything Mm. how that's going to develop um, but then, you know, you look at sort of how the industry is expanding through um, streaming services and the amount of work mm-hmm. that's coming in. Maybe everyone will be in employment. But, um, yeah, I, I just think, you know, when you're an artist and you're pushing 63, will you want to be working till midnight to deliver something? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I agree. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> will you be capable? I, I don't yeah, know. Exactly. That's another question. <laughs> I think you'll be capable, but I don't think you're going to have a very good weekend. <laughs> you'll be asleep. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if we can uh, at that age will be enough to recover, actually. Yeah, I think the recovery <laughs> time will be longer. <laughs> so, yeah, it's like because... Maybe now, uh, as you uh, well pointed, like people in, in their 20s, 30s, or 40s, 50s, mm. they can more or less recover after a weekend. But when you're in your 60s, I don't think, <laughs> I don't see. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's true. And I think also, you know, the socializing will go out of the window because some <laughs> of the 20s and 30s, <laughs> they can't recover from their social life. <laughs> no, I don't think they can. Amazing. So, your English is better than your, your than my French. In Latin countries like France, Italy, or Spain, people would be not easy with you because of mispronunciation. Rather than in the UK, at least in my experience, people would put you at ease. This is like a mindset, in my opinion, that that show you the 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 the, the, the mindset of the let's say the country. 
and how easy it is to get in the industry. Mm. Uh, I don't know if it's much I I always think that I know myself. I I grew up in a really small town mm-hmm. in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> and I always found anybody that came from anywhere else fascinating <laughs> and interesting. You know. Far more interesting that you know I'm an Essex girl. You know, <laughs> if they accept an Essex girl, <laughs> you know, if you come into the industry and you say you're Spanish or you're Greek or you're from Latvia or you're from Jordan, you know, I'm going to be really interested. And the other thing I found is you get really good holiday advice. <laughs> I'm, I would literally go around the team and go, okay, I'm thinking of Greece. Hi. <laughs> Where's it good to go? <laughs> Actually, yeah. Now I know you're from Corsica. <laughs> yeah. Okay, after I chat, after this chat, I'm going to be chatting to you about <laughs> good spots to go to. Yeah, we are more than welcome. I already, I'm ready. I'm ready because I have a map and everything. Because <laughs> I already convinced at least dozen of people to go to Corsica <laughs> since I've been since I've been living well, in the I, UK. I de- I have been once, and um, I did manage to find another Corsican artist who gave me a lot of really good ideas of places to go, but. Yeah, yeah, you are more than welcome. <laughs> uh, anything you want to add before we finish? Um, thank you. No? Thank you for inviting <laughs> me. I feel really flattered and really honoured. Thank you. All, all the honour was mine. Uh, I, w- I, I had an amazing time. I hope you had a good time as well. I had a good time. I hope I've done the women proud. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's lots of people who are more qualified than me, but it's been a great experience. No, no, no I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> you, are, you are the perfect fit, fit for, for, the, for this episode. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I thank you very much, Nikki, for this. I have to thank Zach as well. Thank you very much, much Zach, for <laughs> joining Ma- me today. I won't be able to do it without you. Though. And I will say merci beaucoup. <laughs> <laughs> Je vous en prie. <laughs> thank you very much, everyone. Thank you. Have a good evening. Bye-bye. Bye, Zach. <laughs> <laughs>